You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Uh, We've been talking all this summer about change. Uh, Specifically, we've been talking about people in the New Testament that we see and how their lives were forever changed after they encountered uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've talked about people who had brief encounters with Jesus, somebody like Nicodemus, who we talked about a few weeks ago, um, who just had this one brief encounter with him and his life was changed. We talked about somebody like Peter a few weeks ago as well, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, not just one brief moment, how his life was changed. Uh, and the, the person we're supposed to talk about today uh, was the adulterous woman, the woman that was brought to Jesus um, in, the, in the streets and thrown at his feet by the Pharisees. And we were going to have a great and amazing sermon on that. And then I remembered Brad Gray last fall in November did a, already did a great and phenomenal sermon on that. So if you weren't here back in November when he was here and did his contextual series, uh, I encourage you to jump on our website, check it out. It's amazing teaching on, on that incident um, and that encounter. So I figured we should probably talk about somebody else. And as I began to think about who that could be, I was trying to, I was racking my brain, who in the New Testament can I talk about that we aren't already covering that had an encounter with Jesus and was forever changed? And then I start to think, well, what about the rest of the Bible? And as I thought about the Old Testament, uh, Moses came to mind, obviously, because he's one of the guys that's a pretty big deal in our faith and in the faith of Judaism as well. So I thought it would be fantastic for us if we spent some time looking at uh, Moses' life, what his encounter with God was like, how his life was changed, and everybody that he came in contact with thereafter was changed. So let's jump right into it. We're going to go right into the text. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 for a while today. Here's what God's word says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It's interesting to me that it's not the fact that this thing is just burning up that Moses notices, but that it's not actually being consumed by the fire. There's a lot of talk about this, this exact thing. And some people say like there are bushes in the Sinai desert that secrete the, this particular kind of oil and some of them secrete like a gas that under the, just the perfect circumstances, heat and humidity and all this stuff, these things can spontaneously combust. So it's quite possible this is not the first time that Moses has been walking along the desert and saw a bush just light up on fire. But the amazing thing is that Moses stops long enough to look over and notice that there's something different happening here. This bush is not like any other bush on fire. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed by the flames. So let's keep reading on. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, 
God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them to Uh, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I, God? Why me? There's a couple of things that, it's interesting to me that this is his response for a couple of reasons. Well, mostly because he's being spoken to from a burning bush and one that's not being consumed. I imagine that I would probably but if I imagine myself in Moses' shoes, I guess rather his sandals, I would probably ask the same question. Because there's a few things that are going on in Moses' life at this time that would come to my mind if I were him. And the first is this, his age. If we look, back, uh, look a little further into Exodus chapter 7, we get to see exactly how old Moses was at this incident because this just play, takes place a few Uh, a little bit longer down the road. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 80 years old. So this is not the Moses of Charlton Heston. Anybody remember 10 Commandments? I'm not even that old. It's not, you know, this middle-aged Moses that goes out into the desert who's dressed poorly, has this encounter with God, walks away, all smiley, beautiful hair and beard with some gray streaks in it. That's not this Moses. This Moses is 80 years old already. 80 years of life. So when God says, I choose you, who am I? I'm 80. And not only that, but do you know what I've been through in my life? We only get a small snippet of those things that happen in Moses' 80 years of life up to this point. Many of us already know the story of Moses, and we know that he, was, he came onto the scene in Egypt at a time where Pharaoh did not like the Israelites. The text says he did not remember Joseph and the things that he had done for, the, for Egypt. And Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites because they had become so numerous. So he makes this declaration, this edict, that any time a boy was born to an Israelite woman, that she, they were supposed to cast that boy into the Nile. When Moses was born to his mother, she hid him. She hid him for three months, and then she realized that she just couldn't hide him any longer. So what she did was she went to take him to the Nile like she was supposed to. 
But instead of tossing him in just to drown, she puts him in a basket, puts him in the reeds in the river, and just trusts God is going to take care of him. And God does. By divine providence, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river to bathe, and one of her servants is walking by and sees Moses in the basket in the river. And then through a pretty cool set of circumstances, Moses ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household. The next time that we see Moses in the text, it just says that some time passes by. But we get to know exactly how much time that is because if we jump forward into Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin and he's giving them a speech and just talking about uh, where they've been as a people And he says this in uh, Acts 7.23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. So Moses is 40 at this point. Let's go and read this story. I know I'm bringing attention to how old he is at all these points. I will explain that in just a moment. Bear with me. We're going to go back to his story in Exodus chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, 40 years old, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up, came to their rescue, and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter to Sipporah to Moses in marriage, not just a meal, but a wife as well. Sipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Did you guys see what Moses did? The thing that God would be looking at that was inside him? Did you see how he reacted when he saw somebody that was being treated unjustly? When he went out that day, And he saw his fellow Hebrew being mistreated. He acted. Granted, he didn't act in a very great way. But a little bit later on, when he's, he's in the desert with the girls, he sees them being treated unjustly, and he reacts to that as well. He rescues them from their oppressors. So I want to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here about his age. 
So I mentioned he was 40 years old when he walks out to, the, to see his people and that incident happens when he kills the Egyptian. And he's 40 years old with the whole shepherd thing as well. We already determined that he's 80 when, he appear, when God appears to him in the burning bush. And if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 34, it tells us that Moses was 120 when he died. And thankfully, I went to school and got a math degree so I can confidently tell you there are 40 years between all those events. And I bring that up because the number 40 is fairly significant in God's text. We see the number 40 appear a lot. I think back to the time of Noah when the flood happened, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Even in Moses' story a little bit later, you see uh, when they get back to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up to receive the law from God, he's up there for 40 days. And then when the Israelites screw up, they got to wander for 40 years. And if you go even further down the line, we see Jesus out in the desert for 40 days and nights, and then he's tested by Satan. So 40 is always this num- number that's kind of synonymous with a testing, a time of testing, but it's, it can be, it's actually more than that. Because what happens during this 40, with this number 40, is that there's something, it's significant because it is indicating something new is happening. There's a change afoot. Transformation is happening. I think about it. When, so Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years. I'm sure there's quite a bit of testing going on there. Learning how to be a leader like Pharaoh was a leader. But when the time came and he goes out to see his people... That's not the person that came out. There was a change there. The person that came out into the desert that day to help those girls that were being harassed by the other shepherds was a man who looked at those who were being unjustly treated and stepped out and helped them. But Moses wasn't done being changed at this point. Now there's a fly buzzing around my head. Seriously, Lord, what in the world? Come on. I don't know which one we're going to put online. This is awesome. Uh, Where was I? It's just still coming back. Okay, so 40, not changed enough. So what is, God's like, it's time for some more. There's some more that needs to be done. Because think about, At that time, when he goes out and he rescues those shepherd girls, when they go back to their dad and tell him what happened, what did they tell him? An Egyptian saved us. That's not who Moses was. He needed more time in the the fire. So he gets an upgrade in life and goes from living with a royal family for 40 years to being a shepherd. This is kind of like you know, the CEO of Amazon or Microsoft going to become, uh, run a, a lemonade stand in their mom's front yard. This is not an upgrade in your status in society. But another 40 years passes by, 
and Moses is ready. God comes to him and says, Moses, I see who you are. I see who you've been all along the way, and now you are ready to go get my people. Let's jump back at, uh, to Exodus chapter three. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I know who you are. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. How many of us would love to hear God say that to us in an audible voice? We feel God's calling in our lives for him to to be, I will be with you. How confident would that make us feel in that moment? But that's not Moses. That's not how he reacts. He keeps the conversation going. Okay, God, so if I go, what if I go to them and say, hey, God sent me to you guys to get you out of here. And they say, well, what's, what God? What's his name? And the Lord's like, well, you can tell him I am sent you. The God of their fathers. And he gives them more specifics on how things are going to go down, how he's going to get his people out of there. And it's a lot of awesome stuff. And Moses is like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. But um, so what if they don't believe me? Well, if they don't believe you, let me give you some miracles to do. That way they'll know that I have sent you, that you're doing it under my power. Use this staff. Use your cloak. Put your hand in there. Look at that. That's pretty cool. Moses like, yeah, that is neat. But I really am not a very eloquent talker. I, I just, public speaking is not my thing, God. And God says, I know a thing or two about mouths. I created them. I am the one who gives people speech. I am the one who gives people the ability to see and hear. I am with you. I will give you the words to say. And Moses' response Just send somebody else. Can you just send somebody else? I know who I am. Why don't you just send somebody else? No shocker, God gets angry. But God has been at work in Moses' life since the day he was born. I don't think he's going to smite him in this one moment. Instead, he says, okay, Moses, if you don't want to step into this calling I have for you, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? You remember him? I think he can talk pretty well. I'll send him to you. You can use him. Just tell him everything I've told you. Show him the miracles. He'll be the spokesman. Okay. And that's how it goes. Moses meets up with Aaron. They go before the elders. Aaron is doing all the talking. They go before Pharaoh. Aaron is doing all the talking there. Aaron is the one who's throwing the staff on the ground. It's turning into a serpent. 
Aaron is one who's raising the staff to change the water into blood of the Nile. Aaron is the one. But Moses was the one that was called. There's something neat that happens here, and we don't actually get to see it necessarily happen, but somewhere in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of them going to Pharaoh and going to the elders and all the plagues happening, Moses begins to believe. Because what we see is that pretty soon Moses is the one standing before Pharaoh. He's the one talking to him. Moses is the one who has the staff and is bringing the plagues upon Egypt. Moses is the one who stands at the shores of the Red Sea and through the power of God splits it so they can walk right through. Somewhere along the line of watching God move and work, he began to believe that who God said he was is who he actually was. And so when he stepped up and in that calling believed it and led his people, it forever changed not only his life, but the lives of all those people they brought out of Egypt and all the people who have ever lived in Israel since. Moses is a pretty big deal. To the point when he died, this is the epitaph they left for him in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's who Moses became because of his encounter with God that day on the mountain. It was a slow process, but that's where he ended up. We're going to go to communion now. If you're serving, if you could hop up and uh, get the elements going. Here at Real Life, we have what we like to call uh, open tables. So if you're new with us, what that means is If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to take communion with us. Uh, You're part of the family. Um, So just grab the elements as they pass by and hold on to them. We'll take them together in a minute. By the way, uh, if you've been sitting there maybe a couple of Sundays or maybe just this Sunday and you're like, I'd really love this church. I'd love to get more involved. But kids are not your thing you can help us with communion. We have a little board right out there at the entrance. When you walk in, you can sign up when you come in, or if, you, if it's not sitting out there, you can talk to one of the staff members or volunteers. They can get you signed up for that, and you can help us serve the Lord's table. Uh, as these guys are passing it out, though, let's go over a few things that jumped out at me as I was studying Moses this week, and hopefully you guys can take this away as well. We call them implications. Implication number one, age is just a number. We saw Moses was 80 years old when God called him, 80. 
It makes me think about uh, a woman I know who was 80 years old at one time, uh, my wife's grandmother, who just passed away. She was 100 years old this May. Um, <clears throat> when I met my wife 20 years ago, she was 80. Again, the math degree coming into play there, 100 minus 20 is 80. She was a woman who had been in ministry for a long time, but at the age of 80, she was driving from Missoula to Deer Lodge, which is a couple-hour drive, to Montana State Prison to do ministry there. And she was in the lives of these guys who were spending, who had been there for all sorts of heinous crimes, but she touched a lot of people's lives in there to the point where these guys were calling her grandma and they were part of her family. Age is just a number. It makes me think about uh, my daughter who is 14 years old and just got back yesterday from a Bible camp and we were sitting around the campfire last night roasting marshmallows, making s'mores and she was telling us about how things were going and she told us a story about this young man that she saw who was being outcasted by his friends and he was being treated poorly. And so she went over there and she met with him and introduced herself and she brought him over to their group and included them. And he was like, I've always felt like an outsider. This is the first time I've ever felt like I was accepted. It doesn't matter how old you are. God will use you and he has a call for you in your life. Age is just a number. Implication number two, when God calls you, not if, when God calls you, how do you respond? Moses responded with reluctance. Moses responded out of who he thought he was, not who God thought he was. Which is honestly how I respond to God. I wish I was more like the guys that we talked about the last two weeks, Peter and Paul, who when God put a call in their lives, they just dropped everything and went full bore into it. That's not how I've done things. When God has put a call in my life, I'm like, God, why are you, what are you doing? Don't you know who I am? Who am I to be the one for you? Don't, don't you know that I'm not equipped to do that? Don't you know about all the mistakes I've made in the past? Yep. I do. That's why I chose you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're kind of like me. A little reluctant when God comes into your life and calls you to something. Which brings us to our last point. Last implication, which is something I borrowed from Brad Gray. When God calls us to a new path, it's actually not something new. He calls us to something more of what we have always been. Moses was already a leader, Moses was already a shepherd. God just called him to something more. And he does that in our lives as well. 
Everything that we've been through, everything that you've been through in your life, all the good times and the bad times, those are just molding you for the moment God is going to call you. And maybe the call that God puts in your life is a short one to step out in faith and go serve in children's church. Or maybe it's like a family that we've had here at Real Life that received God's call to go to a foreign country, sell everything they had, and go minister to people they didn't even know. But God had been molding them and preparing them for that moment through everything that they had been going through. And you're sitting out there today and you're like, I am in the junk. Like, I am in the middle of the desert. It is hot. I'm not seeing any burning bushes. This really stinks. It's hard to see through that. But I just want to encourage you, God has got you going through that for a reason. I wish I knew, I wish I could tell you. But he's got something for you on the other side because that is just going to be more of what you become on the other side of that. So as we go to communion and we we think about how the things that Jesus did throughout his ministry and how it led up to that night, that night that we remember when we do communion and how he was prepared because of everything that he'd been through for what was to come. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share what you shared with me this week about your servant Moses. Lord, I thank you that you, sh- you showed me that you, you show us, Lord, that you pursue us, that your hand is in everything that's going on in our lives. And it's not for, for any other reason but to glorify you in the end, that you are preparing us all along the way for when you call us into uh, action. Lord, I just pray that as we are sitting here today and we're thinking about that call that you have on all of our lives, Lord, that we will will see ourselves as you see us, not how we see us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.